Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. Five, four, three, two, one. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. A confirmed attack is taking place against the United States. Aliens from an unknown location have been reported in multiple states. We are controlling transmission. There is another world that awaits, far beyond what we can see and feel. A place that's anything but ordinary. What you believe might not be. Step into the zone of the best unknown. UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, conspiracies and cover-ups. And to the paranormal we go. Well, tonight's show definitely fits right in between the paranormal and the abnormal. Just as you expect, we deliver, and it's good to be with you for yet another week. Headed up towards Christmas, through the holidays, we're going to be here with you talking about all of these subjects uh, somewhere between the paranormal and the abnormal. In fact, uh, tonight we're going to go into the void, a place where paranormal occurrences may exist. It's a fascinating thought to just wonder about some of this stuff, which of course we do nightly right here on the program in case you're new. Pull up a chair or uh, pull the covers up uh, over you nice and tight, whatever the case happens to be. If you're out on the roads, make sure you keep your eyes on the roads. Hello to all you truckers listening far and wide tonight. Now, people who have had a, say, a near-death experience when they uh, when they do, they report a variety of things. Now, of course, uh, I've never had a near-death experience. I've never had a death experience. I've heard from plenty of individuals who have, folks who have kind of been in that void, so to speak. And so that's why we, we know, or at least have an understanding of uh, what people experience when they're uh, in between, so to speak, this realm and the next. Uh, out-of-body experiences. Many individuals, of course, report that uh, they're feeling as though they have left their body and are then observing themselves and what's going on from uh, a different perspective. Some even report the tunnel as if they are moving towards the light, something I always like to ask guests when they are passing or believe they're passing from one point to the next is whether or not there is the light and whether you cross it. 
there's also often a uh, feeling of um, peace, I guess, is a way of saying it, where people almost report a, a sense of calmness or maybe uh, a detachment from some sort of a pain that is ailing them in this existence. Uh, oftentimes, people uh, take a review at their life in which uh, it comes fast and furious, a review of everything they've lived up to this point, such as significant events and also how those have impacted others. Uh, many times, uh, individuals report coming back uh, much tamer. It's a way of saying it. Uh, but also, uh, we can't rule out encountering, uh, well, deceased loved ones. People have said that uh, they certainly have uh, encountered a loved one uh, a time or two while having one of these experiences. And uh, also even uh, beings in which they can't necessarily fully comprehend what it is they're dealing with. Uh, maybe it's just a being of light. Maybe it's a divine presence. Maybe it is something uh, flesh and blood. Recently, uh, because, you know, we look at all sorts of news items as we prepare for this program. And certainly we also have to book guests in advance uh, just so that our schedules will align. Because it's not as just easy. I call you and say, hey, are you available tonight? Great, let's let's do the show and, and, and let's get everything we need and put it together uh, in just a couple hours. I mean, you can do that if you, if you need to in a pinch. But I, I prefer to not do that if I don't have to. And so I had already... Uh, plan to talk to uh, Mindy Totfest tonight, and uh, this is going to be a wide-ranging conversation that even goes beyond the near-death experience, which we'll get to here shortly. But in preparation for this show, uh, I came across something that an actor by the name of Jamie Foxx, I'm, I'm certain we've we've all heard that name a time or two, uh, it wasn't too long ago that uh, Mr. Fox had suffered some sort of uh, health Scare, it appeared, uh, was was scarce. We didn't know what to make. Obviously, these are private matters, so uh, families have the right to disclose what they want to disclose or what they don't want to disclose. I'm not even sure they, they knew exactly what they were dealing with at the time. Uh, but he uh, apparently had one of these near-death experiences, and much like uh, some of those things that I mentioned just a, a moment ago, did see a tunnel, didn't didn't see the light, as he says, but actually did see I wouldn't wish tunnel. what I what I went through on um on my worst enemy because uh, it's tough when you when you when you when you almost when it's almost over when you see the tunnel. I saw the tunnel, I didn't see the light. You can just imagine the situation that he may have been in and, of course, the stories that he had to tell to his family who was uh, going through that experience with him. Uh, the fact that these experiences happen is is not uh, new. However, they are unique. Not everybody experiences them the same. And yet there could be something that actually links it together, specifically near-death experiences and UFOs. It was uh, over 30 years ago that a man by the name of Kenneth Ring proposed in his book called The Omega Project, Near-Death Experiences, UFO Encounters, and Mind at Large, in which he talked about UFO abductees and near-death experiencers, those who have survived death, bearing strong 
psychological resemblances and concluded that those experiences may represent a new stage in the evolution of the human mind. He also did not believe that this was a hallucination or anything of the kind, actually, as he told uh, Larry King. They are real experiences in my view, but not necessarily real in the sense of physical reality real, but they are real within their own domain, and I am very convinced that these are not hallucinations, dreams, fantasies, or things that people have imagined. And that's uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring. Dr. Kenneth Ring on Larry King, CNN 1992, talking about a possible connection between the near-death experience and UFO sightings. So when I came across a book called Dying to Meet Them, One Woman's Incredible Journey from NDE to UAP, I had to get her on the program. She's been through a lot and has really a a great perspective. Uh, She's uh, suffered a near-death experience, and that's what led her to the UFO phenomenon. She is an author, speaker, curator of the Hayden C. Hughes International UFO Bureau, is MUFON's national director of training, a member of the Elite Star Team, and the dean of MUFON University. As I mentioned, she writes about this in detail in her book, and Mindy Totfest is here now on Into the Paranormal. Mindy, thanks for coming on the program. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. And I'll tell you, listening to Jamie Foxx, I hadn't heard that. We were speaking just right before we went on um, about him coming out with the near-death experience. And I knew that he had had some health troubles recently. And um, just hearing that clip, my heart breaks for him. You can just hear him struggling to even put into words what he experienced just seeing the tunnel. Um you know, um, yeah, it, it, and he is so close to this happening. It takes years to integrate these kind of encounters and these types of experiences. And so he's really at the very beginning stages of trying to process what he's been through. And uh, my heart just goes out to him. Absolutely. And so, you know, this because you've been through it yourself. Yes, I did. Um, my that's what my book is about, Dying to Meet Them. Uh, Back in 2016, it was November 8th, uh, which is the election day between Hillary and Trump. Uh, Well, that'll give any, that'll, (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) say, that'll send one right over the edge. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And I I even described that in the book, you know, tensions were high and just there was excitement in the air from both sides. And, you know, we knew that whoever won, it was going to take our country in drastically different, you know, directions. And so I had gotten up that day and um, just like any other day, my children were five and seven and they were in elementary school. My husband was a Southern Baptist minister, but he also taught at the local school and um, coached basketball and uh, was very involved there. He also drove the school bus. And so they left out that morning and gave them hugs and kisses and uh, noticed that my face was a little bit swollen that morning. And I really thought that I was having like some kind of allergic reaction. And so I took a couple pictures, sent it to my husband, said, my face is swollen. Something seems off, but um, let me take a Benadryl and just see if that'll help. And so throughout the day, I, I go about my business, you know, um, I'm just a housewife. I lived up on a 300-acre wheat farm in northern Oklahoma. So 
we were really out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so when I was at home by myself, I was literally one of the only people for miles and miles around. Um, and so I, as the day rolled on, I said, well, let me go ahead and jump in the shower and, and get ready. We wanted to go vote that evening and thought maybe that would help, you know, relieve whatever it was and my fa- swelling would go down in my face. And I got out of the shower and got dressed and went and sat on the couch and I started looking. It was early afternoon, three, four o'clock. And I thought, let me go ahead and look at the exit polls, see if there's any early exit polls coming out. And as I did, I heard a loud gunshot go off in my head. And before this, I worked as an ICU nurse. So, of course, I'm like going through my assessment, you know, just like a nurse would, um, you know, checking my breathing, my pulse and everything and, and just trying to assess what's going on. Uh, my initial reaction was that I had probably been shot. And at the time, our house, we lived like in a little flimsy trailer house out on the farm because we had moved out there to help my father-in-law. And that was really one of the only housing that was there until we could build something. And there had been coyote hunters out around that area. So I really thought that maybe they had returned and maybe had shot through the wall and had got me. Um But as I was kind of focusing my attention on the back of my head, I couldn't feel any blood running down my back or anything. And so my next thought was, this has got to be a brain aneurysm. All right, hold that thought. It's a painful spot to uh, head to break, but you already know what show you're listening to. My guest is Mindy Tontfest. I'm Jeremy Scott. More Into the Paranormal coming up. I'm Jeremy Scott, a story from near-death experience to UAP, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon, tonight on the program as we go into the void, into the paranormal. I guess Mindy Tontfest. So, all right, uh, brain aneurysm, she's thinking, uh, first uh, ruled out being shot. It's election night, but she hears this, uh, what sounds like a, like a shot going off, and uh, determines that you may have had a more serious situation on your hands, right? Right, yeah. Once I realized that it was probably a brain aneurysm, um, I almost immediately had a sensation of what felt like, the best I can describe it as an electrical avalanche that went from the very top of my head down to my toes, and it just kind of rolled down my body, and it was incredibly painful. And as soon as that happened, I felt my head start bobbing and I started losing consciousness. Um, And when I say losing consciousness, it was more of a physical consciousness and not a mental consciousness because my thought stream continued the whole time that I was, my body was, was losing consciousness. Um, My thoughts immediately turned to my husband and children. I had just opened up the front door and I was sitting there waiting for them to get home. And so I was waiting for them to run in and give me big hugs and kisses and tell me about their day like they always did. 
and my heart instantly sunk. I mean, it, it was completely broken knowing that they're going to run into this door and they're going to find my body slumped over and dead. And I instantly started turning to my Christian teaching and, and praying, God, do not let my kids find me. And then, of course, I think of my husband. He's not going to be able to handle it very well either. Um, but I, I did not want to be the worst thing that had ever happened to my kids. Um, and so I, I was in deep, deep prayer and thought, God, you know, if I can survive this, please let me survive this, but I don't want to be a burden on the family. If I can come back and, you know, come back from this and, and be okay, please let this happen. And I was in such deep, deep prayer and sorrow that I just kind of lost track of time and where I was. Um, I kind of decided to just open my eyes. And when I did, I was in complete darkness and my, as I'm looking around, I'm trying to figure out, is it dark or is there nothing here? Um, and so I, my first instinct was to put my hand out <laughs> in front of me. And that's what you see on the cover of the book is the hand in the darkness where I tried putting my hand out to see if I could see it and I wasn't able to. And so the next thing I do, it sounds kind of silly, but I, I thought, well, let me see if I have hands. So I started trying to clap. And whenever I did that, that's when the realization hit me that I, I'm really dead. Um, I've already crossed over. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm looking around. There's nothing there. I'm waiting for the tunnel of light. I'm waiting for my loved ones to show up, for Jesus to show up. And I'm praying. I'm praying, you know, Jesus, I, I'm I can't get into heaven without you. Please be my righteousness and stand in my place. Um, and as I'm praying, I'm waiting and still nothing. It's an awful thought, uh, wondering, you're, well, you're in limbo. You're in the void. Are you going to survive or not? We'll get the rest of this story. With Mindy Totfest, I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between the paranormal and abnormal. This is Paranormal News. Space Force is encountering UFOs by the thousands. They say they've encountered them in Earth's orbit so often, it's disrupting their threat identification mission. They now have a plan to identify and track unidentified anomalous phenomenon. It mandates the rapid identification and response to threats and hazards, such as objects that, quote, exhibit abnormal observables and patterns of life and cannot be correlated to any owner or point of origin, end quote. 
Space Force hopes to be able to positively identify them to determine if they pose a threat and how to deal with it. The branch created in 2019 under the jurisdiction of the Pentagon is tasked with protecting us from space-based threats, both local and galactic. George Henry, Paranormal News. You are dead. I died. I died. I died. More and more people, disillusioned with life on Earth, want to believe in a force outside their understanding. I felt incredibly happy. I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh my gosh. Oh. Oh, wow. What the hell? Dr. Kenneth Ring, who wrote The Omega Project, he did a whole battery of near-death experiencers, and he actually compared them to UFO experiencers. It wasn't until after that near-death experience that I started to see these crafts. They are real experiences in my view, but not necessarily real in the sense of physical reality real but they are real within their own domain, and I am very convinced that these are not hallucinations, dreams, fantasies, or things that people have imagined. Don't concentrate too hard, or you might get sucked into a black hole. Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott, dying to meet them. One woman's incredible journey from NDE to UAP is authored by Mindy Totfest, my guest tonight. So, imagine... Uh, going through an experience, believing you're dead or you're about to die, uh, and just waiting. And then waiting some more for something to happen. Then what, Mindy? Well, actually, as I sat there, the longer I was there, the more my distress really grew. I realized that I had been separated from my husband and my kids, um, just like they had lost me i had lost them and i was separated from everything i could feel god and creation all around me and it was almost as if i had been put into like an invisible box and was being held separate from everything across all time um and that was what was so soul crushing for me um and as I sat there, I didn't really have a life review like some people described. It was more of just kind of an inner reflection of myself. And as I kind of thought of different instances in my life, it came to me that I never had a problem loving other people, but I needed to learn to love myself. And as soon as that realization came, there was an entity that showed up over my left shoulder. Um, which is hard to say. I didn't really have a form, but he was back over the, to the left of me. And um, he approached me and he said, you're not going to be here forever. And I instantly had relief. I thought, okay, someone else is here and I'm not going to be here forever. According to him, this is good. And so right as he said that, we started sailing off to the left. And I, I give directions and stuff, but everything is kind of in 360 there. Um, and while the, the entity that came up to me was definitely male energy, I did not see him. 
I felt him there, but I couldn't even identify him as being human. Um, he didn't feel like divine. He wasn't an angel or anything that I could identify, but it was definitely a male energy. But as we sailed off together to the left, in the distance, I started seeing a purple glow. And as we got closer and closer, I could see these pink intersecting lines going through it. It almost looked like a big nebula or it, it looked like a map of brain neurons. And where the pink lines connected, it glowed bright yellow and it was beautiful. And my male companion told me that is the fabric of humanity. And I just felt immense love coming off of this fabric of humanity. And I said, can I go to it? And he said, that's not for you. And we started sailing further to the left. And after that, boom, I was back in my body and I inserted instantly. And, and it was almost like a computer rebooting um, that I just kind of, you know, zipped back into this dimension and instantly I felt the tremendous pain of, in my head. I had lost 90% of my hearing and so I could kind of hear the mumbling on the TV and I was slumped over on the couch and realized that I had had a stroke because my right arm was hanging limp. Uh, eventually I was able to find my cell phone, which I had dropped on the floor and I called my father-in-law who lived across the street and I tr just slurred out something, you know, like 911 and within a minute he was standing in my living room and I knew that I would be okay. Um, it was probably 15 minutes later or so before my husband and kids arrived and they were able to get me loaded up and taken to the hospital. And eventually, it took two years for doctors to finally and really understand what had happened to me because I kept passing out. I kept having strokes over the next two-year period. And um, first doctor I went to at the ER there in the small town sent me home saying I had a migraine. And I said, no, that, that, that's not right. But they didn't have the technology there to be able to thoroughly assess me. And it was two years later before we moved to Oklahoma City. And within two weeks of moving out here, the doctors here had me in for the proper testing and discovered that I had had what's called a vertebral artery dissection, which is a fairly rare condition. Um, but that's what had had set off the near-death experience so you were accompanied through this uh this experience did you have contact with this same male energy afterwards i did not um and i still don't know who he was or what he was um i've always wondered about that I felt that there were other entities around in that area um, that were out of my reach. And so I've been asked before, you know, do you think it's just humans there? I do not. I, I think that there's all types of entities that, are, that originate from that void area. And so we've called the program Into the Void because it's kind of that place uh, in between uh, here and uh, there, uh, how did you come to uh, understand this all? 
Well, I it took a couple of years. Um, I was still trying to heal physically. I had ended up back in the hospital at one point, and uh, they think that it had another small tear on that artery again. And I had told my husband, you know, I, I cannot survive another one of these. Um, my blood pressure was hovering 40 over 20. I was in the neuro step-down unit at the local hospital here. And I said, we really need to be looking at funeral arrangements and and talking about the hard things. At the time, I was only uh, 36 when it happened and 38 when I went back in the hospital. And, you know, that's not something you want to have to talk about. But we did. We talked about, you know, mom has a burial plot over here. And, um, you know, I want this woman to be part of the kids' lives and, and to be a strong female influence for them. And out of that, my husband said, well, what what do you want to do while you're still here? And I said, I want to go to Roswell. <laughs> and so he arranged it. Um, A bucket still list was, item almost. It, it absolutely was. Um, I had always had a strong interest in UFOs since childhood. I was five, six years old watching sightings and uh, you know unsolved mysteries and anything that I could see about UFOs and aliens. It just, it has always fascinated me. Um, and so to go to Roswell was always a dream. And my dear husband, he arranged it and we packed up the kids that summer and we went down to the Roswell Festival and it it was amazing. I never knew that you could go to these festivals and talk to major researchers. You know, they all had their booths out and their books and you could just walk up and talk to them and ask them anything. And it was the neatest thing. And out of that, I ended up meeting Kathleen Martin. Uh, she was a speaker there that year and she actually formed MUFON's uh, experience or resource team. And I had asked her some about quantum healing hypnosis technique um, in trying to get over some of the PTSD of living through the the dissection and through the the whole thing with the void. I was having a really hard time with that coming from being a Southern Baptist minister's wife. It did not fit into my understanding of the afterlife at that point. And so I spoke to her some about that, and really, I, I knew about MUFON, which is the Mutual UFO Network, and I didn't think that I really had anything to offer them, um, especially after, you know, being so ill. But on the way home, I, I told my husband, Let, let's look into going to meetings for MUFON. Let's see if they have them out here in Oklahoma. And... You know, I'm pulling up all the information and I end up contacting headquarters and I spoke with Doug Wilson, who was our director of investigations at the time. And he spoke to me for almost three hours on the phone and he talked me into, you know, well, we'll give you what you can handle. You know, if you really want to do this, I'll help train you up and, and uh, we'll get you going here in Oklahoma. And so that's what I did. And I jumped in both feet. Um, <laughs> it was something that I never knew that, you know, just anybody could do. I thought I had to have a police background or military or something like that. 
Um, but I mean, I soon learned that everybody has something to offer um, as far as the investigation process with MUFON. And um, so I signed up. I started uh, investigating as a field investigator. And then within a year, I became the state director here in Oklahoma. And I just recently um, stepped out of that position and into the national director of training um, with working with MUFON University and all the things we're doing there. Um, let me back up a little bit because I'm kind of getting way ahead of myself. So getting involved with MUFON and speaking with some of these experiencers is really what kind of made me think, okay, there's something here. There's some kind of connection because they sound a lot like me. I was not an abductee, um, but these people changed in very similar ways to how I changed after my near-death experience. And with each one that I would interview, I thought, okay, I, there, there has got to be something here. Someone else must have seen this before. And as I was researching, that's when I came across Dr. Kenneth Ring. And boy, you, I can't tell you how quickly I ordered up the Omega Project when I saw it. <laughs> I just squealed whenever it finally arrived in the mail. Um, and I poured through it. And he had seen the same kind of similarities and the way that he got started he he actually was investigating near-death experiences and in 92 he had a colleague who gave him a copy of whitley streber's communion and said read this this guy sounds like your near-death experiencers and so he did and it, Whenever he first got it, he said that he he didn't really want to look into it because he didn't think there was much to the UFO phenomenon. But once he read communion, he said, okay, I see what you're saying. Let me organize a whole battery and let's let's see if we can see what these similarities are between these two types of experiencers. Um, and at the time, he was working as a professor of psychology out at the University of Connecticut. So he was able to set up uh, a whole study between these two types of experiencers. And out of this, he ended up finding two major findings from the Omega Project. Number one was that there was a type of encounter-prone personality. And what he did was really genius. He was able to single out and, and say, okay, these people are not fantasy prone. These aren't people that are out, you know, battling dragons and stuff as kids. These people have learned how to dissociate to the dis exclusion of their environment. All right, more on that with Mindy Tontfest. She's talking about Dr. Kenneth Ring and his study into near-death experiences and UFOs. there a connection between those who experience uh, almost a near death and then come back to life and those who experience UFOs or now as it's coming to be known UAPs I'm Jeremy Scott with the author 
of dying to meet them. One woman's incredible journey from NDE to UAP. Her name is Mindy Tonfest. And uh, Mindy, uh, we were talking about Dr. Kenneth Ring, and you were talking about encounter-prone personalities, certain individuals who I guess are more prone to have these experiences, right? Right. Um, this is one of the major findings that he had from the Omega Project uh, back in 1992. And the way that he differentiated um, was, you know, to see if people were encounter prone or if they were fantasy prone. And these did not seem to overlap. People were either fantasy prone or they were the encounter prone personality and these are the types of people that would have a near-death experience not everybody that dies and comes back reports a near-death experience why well dr ring believes that it's because they had this underlying encounter prone personality which enabled them to come back and remember their encounter while on the other side um, and the other thing that he had identified out of this battery was that there was a set of after effects that we saw with near-death experiencers and UFO experiencers alike. And that's kind of the same thing that I was picking up on when I was talking to UFO experiencers and kind of realizing the similarities with what I experienced after my near-death experience. And so... Dr. Ring really was ahead of his time in being able to identify these things. And I think that we're just now getting to a point where people are starting to pick up on, okay, yeah, maybe there is some kind of underlying thread here um, between these different types of experiencers. And I, I think it's only going to move us forward in understanding um, more about the phenomena in itself. So some of the things that we see with the after effects, um, people tend to be more altruistic afterwards. Uh, they are more spiritual rather than religious. They see the bigger picture, um, more, more giving of universal love. Um, and that's just kind of the psychological things that we see. Uh, we also see an increase in paranormal type activities sometimes afterwards where people will have in encounters with non-human entities such as aliens or spirits or um, you know any number of things there's also the physiological changes that we see um, with the photosensitivity and noise sensitivities and that was one that I really was affected by after my near-death experience and um i really kind of thought that that was related more to ptsd which it could be um but it's something that we see between both types of experiencers uh we also see electrical sensitivities and even electrical interferences and that was something that that i battled with quite quite terribly there for the first couple of years afterwards i had a couple of microwaves that just went kaput anytime i touched them um and zoom became a, a huge issue for me whenever i was first looking into the near-death experience when i was first ready to actually speak about it 
it had taken two years and it was um, during the pandemic. And I had had been going to counseling to help with the PTSD and I was ready to talk to my counselor about the near-death experience side of things. And that's when everything got shut down for the pandemic. And I waited a couple of weeks to be able to talk to her. And of course, we know it was months, months and months and turned into years before everything kind of opened back up. Um, so I had turned to my husband and I said, okay, I've, I've got to tell you something. And I, I shared with him about the near-death experience. We will continue this. So what a fascinating hour it has been, and it's only going to get better from here. I'm Jeremy Scott talking with Mindy Tonfest, MUFON's National Director of Training, member of the Elite Star Team, Dean of MUFON University, curator of the Hayden C. Hughes International UFO Bureau, and a near-death survivor, author of Dying to Meet Them, one woman's incredible journey from NDE to UAP. More somewhere between paranormal and abnormal. Don't venture too far. You might not make it back into the paranormal. these things individually, the near-death experience or UAPs, but it's uh, fascinating to me to wonder whether or not there is something that uh, really molds it all together. And that's the road we're headed down here in this hour. I'm Jeremy Scott, and my guest is Mindy Tontfest. Her website, M-I-N-D-Y-T-A-U-T-F-E-S-T dot com. You can find links to the book as well at parabnormalradio.com. So uh, eventually she reaches the point of having this near-death experience and needing to tell someone about it because she had kept it quiet. And uh, please continue. Uh, Your therapist not available. So um, here you are about to tell your husband. and, And what is... What does he tell you after you share the story with him? Right. Well, and I'll tell you, it took me two years to tell him, um, really because I was somewhat concerned of how it may affect our marriage and really how it would affect his faith because I knew what it was doing to me. And how do you tell someone that you love, you know, I... I died, I went to the other side, and I didn't go to heaven. And so that was that was a very hard conversation to have, but my husband being as wonderful as he is, he said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll figure this out together. And first thing he did was go online and he found IONS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. 
And in researching them, he saw that they had online sharing groups and he signed us up. And by that weekend, we were attending our first IONS online meeting. And it was incredible getting to connect with other people who had had these types of encounters. Um, But I found myself being somewhat discouraged because most of the ones that were on there had wonderful heavenly encounters. And here I was saying, no, I, I went to this dark abyss and I was terrified and I was all alone and I was kind of the odd man out. Um, and within these different meetings, they it's open to anybody. Um, people that just have a curiosity in it can sign up and attend their meetings or if you've had a near-death experience or a near-death-like experience, uh, there's all types of people on there and I don't want to give the impression that it was a bad setting. The people there were incredible. They were very supportive and um, when I told my story for the first time to them, just all kinds signs of love coming from them across that whole computer screen where they were throwing up, you know, hearts and, you know, touching their chest and, you know, anything that they could do to show support because they saw that I was really struggling. But it, it as much as it helped to connect with other people, it also hurt that what's wrong with me? Why did I end up going to the void and everybody else went to heaven? <laughs> you know, um, And so in, in trying to understand that, I came across Nancy Evans Bush, uh, who has been a champion of the, near, the distressing near-death experience type. Uh, in fact, she was the only one speaking about it for a long time uh, after her own type of encounter in a void type of situation. And she ended up becoming the secretary for IONS for years and years, worked with Dr. Ring and Moody and um, some of the other greats, uh, Bruce Grayson. And she was really the the lone voice in the whole near-death community speaking about these distressing encounters. Uh, in fact, she coined the term. She... Uh, eventually identified four types of distressing near-death experiences. And the most common that people report is actually having a a good near-death experience where they might actually go to heaven, but they feel somewhat out of control. They're, you know, they're scared of some aspects of it. And so it becomes distressing for them in that sense. The second type is the void type of experience like I encountered uh, where people go to a dark abyss and they feel very alone and deserted. Uh, The third type would be a more hell type of encounter where people actually see demonic entities. They hear horrific screams uh, and that's one of the most rare forms. And the final one is where someone may feel like they were judged negatively by a higher power and and of course that becomes distressing for them so those are kind of the main distressing near-death experiences that are reported um and so it's hard to have people come forward 
people are already struggling to process a positive near-death experience and then to try to process the distressing type is just even even harder because it's hard to connect with even people within the near-death community and for them to understand what it was like to um have that type of encounter so people have past good and bad experiences then well yeah um the majority of people go to heaven they have wonderful encounters um and there's just those few that have these more distressing ones and for a while it was thought by some researchers and people in the community that these distressing encounters were you know the result of poor character or that someone had brought on this type of you know they were deserving of this type of encounter um which we know now there's no correlation whatsoever between someone's character and the type of encounter that they do have if they've had a near-death experience so um Hmm. in trying to process that everything i in the meantime i'm still investigating ufo experiences and i see the distress in some of those encounters um and that's how i got involved with the experiencer resource team with mufon and trying to help people that have had abduction phenomena process what they've been through in the same vein that i had to process what i went through with the near-death experience and have you found uh, through any sort of studies the number of individuals who report that they if they have a near-death experience, they have a UFO experience or vice versa? Well, that's one of the really interesting questions there that I would really like to get to the bottom of. Uh, We know that some near-death experiencers have had UFO encounters since childhood, uh, and I've spoken with UFO experiencers who didn't have those type of encounters until after their near-death experience. So um, we've seen it on both sides of the aisle, but I would love to see a study that really focuses in on, you know, the number of people who acquire UFO encounters after a near-death experience. But one of the very interesting things that I've come across is most of the people that I've worked with within MUFON that are UFO researchers and investigators, almost every single one has had some type of near-death experience in their past. Interesting. So do both of these experiencers go to the same place? Do we know? Well, the UFO experiencers aren't necessarily going to the void. Some do report having a transformation of their environment, but they normally will report being inside of some type of a craft. Um, I believe after coming back from my encounter, the way that I was reinserted into my body, it really felt like a, a computer hard rebu- rebooting um, when everything kind of came back. And I walked around for that first year or two really having a hard time reintegrating into this reality. It, it seemed more like it was a simulated environment to me because I knew that the void where I was, that was my true existence. That was pure existence. 
in in its finest form and to now be back into this reality it all felt very manufactured um and i i was very happy to be back here with my husband and my kids and back in my life i i fought like heck to get back here but i really had that um dissociation with it where i could not wrap my mind around being back in this environment um I believe that a lot of um, what we see is is holographic in nature. It's um, it is a simulation, is what I kind of came back with. It wasn't a download of information. It was more an impression, but it was a very strong impression. And one of the things I came across that kind of confirmed that for me was a study that the U.S. Army did back in the 1980s, and they actually released the paper. It's called Analysis and Assessment of Gateway Process, and this is where the Army was actually trying to train soldiers to send their minds into other realms, and they utilized what they uh, call hemisync technology, which was developed by Robert Monroe at the Monroe Institute, and they would kind of train the brains of these soldiers to put them in a deep meditative state and try to send them over into other realities. And what they wanted them to do was to make contact with entities over there um, and bring back intelligence from them. That is exactly what I ended up doing while I was in the void. And in the paper, it was Lieutenant Colonel Wayne McDonnell. He actually describes the absolute, which he describes as outside of time, space, construct, anything like that. And it's just the pure darkest, you know, infinity. And that's where they were trying to send these psychic spies over to make contact with the entities over there. I believe the connection between the UFO and near-death experiencers is that both have touched the same phenomena from different sides. I think that probably what is piloting a lot of the UAP that we're seeing are coming from the void. Wow. Mind-blowing conversation. We must pause to soak it all in, and we will come back with plenty more of our conversation with Mindy Totfest. Dying to Meet Them, One Woman's Incredible Journey from NDE to UAP is her book. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the void tonight on Into the Paranormal. Fascinating conversation that we're having with Mindy Toddfest about uh, the void itself. And uh, right before the break, she said that it's it's her opinion that um, the pilots of some of these UFOs actually originate from the void. Is that correct? It is. Um, and I, I don't say that 
statement lightly. Um, and that's not to say that all UAP are interdimensional in nature, that they are coming from the void. Um, but I think that a percentage of them very well could be coming from there. As far as my um, interpretation of what I, I encountered while there, and I think that it lines up very much with what the U.S. Army was finding way back in the 80s. Um, it'd be really interesting to hear how much of that has continued and really what they've been able to find through being able to send their consciousness over to the absolute, uh, what kind of information they've been able to pull back from there. So in your work at MUFON, uh, tell us about some of the, the cases that you've investigated in the Sooner State primarily. Well, um, one of the main cases that I investigated here was the uh, Miracle Mountain Schoolyard Encounter, which took place back in the 1970s. It was uh, 1975, and there was a small uh, boarding school that was out in southeastern Oklahoma in a small town called Hartshorn. And growing up and living in Oklahoma my entire life, I had never heard of Hartshorn <laughs> until this, this case came in. And it came in at a time when, like, the aerial school documentary was coming out, and there was talk about some of these different schoolyard encounters, um, which I don't think necessarily spurred the report um, the gentleman that had reported it initially to MUFON had seen the the information coming out from the government saying, you know, where they were showing the, the uh, naval videos and whatnot. And he thought, okay, well, maybe someone will take me seriously if, if I talk about this now. So he wrote into MUFON and he said, hey, back in 1975, my brother and I, we lived at a small boarding school. It was run by a family uh, by the name of Buchanan, and they had 11 children of their own, and they all lived there at the schoolhouse. It was kind of like a little ranch, and they had over 6,000 acres out there, and they had some cattle and whatnot. Uh, and then they had a few different sibling groups that had come out there to live at the boarding school. And this one evening in particular, it was during the fall, they were outside after dinner, just kind of playing in the sandbox, him and his brother were, and some of the other kids were out there playing as well. And they started noticing an object kind of floating off in the distance. And he said it must have taken at least an hour for it to slowly drift towards them where they were. And as it got closer, they said that it was more of an oblong shape. At this, they started getting kind of nervous. And they went in and they alerted the adults, which was the Buchanan mother and one teacher that was there. And she was only 18 years old. Uh, but those were the two adults there. All right, we got to pause with Mindy Totfest. It's 1975 in Oklahoma, a UFO sighting, and to bringing other witnesses out to see for themselves. We'll continue this story when we come back. Somewhere between the paranormal and abnormal, I'm Jeremy Scott.
is Paranormal News. Six exoplanets about 100 light years from Earth that are synced with each other, realigning themselves on a cycle, have been discovered by astronomers using two exoplanet detecting satellites. Derek Pitts, chief astronomer at the Franklin Institute, tells CBS News why this is an exciting and rare find. We're looking at what a solar system may have looked like billions of years ago, even what our solar system may have looked like billions of years ago when it first started. The planet its orbit a bright star similar to the sun in the Coma Berenices constellation and are two to three times larger than Earth but smaller than Neptune. They're much too hot for habitation with temperatures ranging from more than 300 degrees to nearly a thousand. The planets are in a little understood class called sub-Neptunes. This discovery will hopefully help scientists further understand how planets are formed. George Henry, Paranormal News. Not only because the kinds of people who are susceptible to them seem to be similar in terms of their psychological profile, but also people who have these experiences tend to change in the same way afterward. These are very different kinds of experiences, but their after effects, as well as the factors that predispose people to have them, are very similar, surprisingly similar. Into the Paranormal. That was uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring there in 1992, the uh, year that his book came out, The Omega Project, talking about the similarities that he had found in his research between near-death experiencers and UAP, as they've come to be known, contactees. I'm Jeremy Scott, and I'm talking with the author of a book, Dying to Meet Them, One Woman's Incredible Journey from NDE to UAP. But she's so much more than that. She's also a near-death experience survivor. She is a public speaker and is involved with MUFON as well. Uh, so we were talking about the 1975 Miracle Mountains schoolyard encounter, which uh, took place at a boarding school in Oklahoma. These brothers see an oblong object that's floating in the distance, and then it gets closer and then they run and go grab some additional witnesses. Please continue. Yes. that. So as it continues getting closer, by the time the adults come out, it has now settled over a group of trees right in front of them on the property. And they can tell that this is a giant saucer and it has a band going around the center of it with multicolored flashing lights that are flashing sequentially at them. And it really starts unnerving some of the younger kids and they start kind of screaming while others are just kind of standing there in awe watching it. The oldest boy, he was a older teenager. Um, he was one of the Buchanan sons. He ran inside and he ended up grabbing his um, shotgun and climbing up on top of the schoolyard to get a better, or on top of the schoolhouse to get a better look at exactly what was going on in there. And he was almost had a sense that he wanted to protect the women and children since his father was away at the time. And whenever he aimed the gun at the craft, it flipped up on its side and they said that it made a sound like a 
a vacuum cleaner just whooshing and it took off and it landed about a mile away uh, near the sawmill that was still on their property. And the oldest boy actually sat and watched it kind of hover down right next to that sawmill. And they said that it ejected small little orbs of light that came out of the top of it and flew off and it almost kind of um, blended in with the stars at that point. Well, they decide to get the children inside and they're kind of trying to get them calmed down and everything. The teacher then talks about the children being so frightened that they're hiding underneath their beds. And she was saying that she had to pull some out. Others were standing by the window and they were reporting seeing some kind of a, an entity out there. And she said, well, what does it look like? And they said, it just keeps changing. And so they could never describe exactly what the entity looked like. And the oldest boy, he again tried to take charge. He started boarding up the windows. He nailed the doors shut and he stood guard all night with his shotgun to protect the women and children. And the teacher said somewhere in the middle of the night, the sounds of nature returned and she knew that it was over. That next morning, they get up and the teacher actually packed on sack lunches and said, let's go look for the UFO. <laughs> and all of the children, I ended up interviewing five different children that were there during this encounter. And um, most of them have not spoken throughout the years and they still recounted the same details of this entire encounter. One of the main things they remember is the, the sack lunch and the field trip to go look for the UFO the next day. And when they got up there, they didn't see anything. It had already taken off um, and they couldn't find any signs of it. So they turned back and, and walked back up to the schoolhouse. And on the way, the teacher decided to go ahead and, and check the meat locker to start getting something out for dinner. And when she opened it up, she discovered that all of the processed beef had been taken during the night. And this was two sides of beef that was just gone, um, which is very strange. Whenever you think of cattle being in the field right next to it, normally you would think some kind of UFO encounter. There might be a cattle mutilation. The, the living cattle were just fine. It was the processed beef that was taken. And so she reported this to the owner of the school, Mr. Buchanan, whenever he had returned. And um, she went to show him that next day, and it had actually been returned. Um, and he refused to let anybody there at the school eat it. So he hauled it out to the middle of the field and burned the hall. And the kids remember eating oatmeal for several days because the father had taken all the meat out to burn it because he didn't trust whatever it was that had taken it and returned it. Uh, so it's a, a strange thing with this one particular encounter that um, that meat was taken and then returned. So in researching this case, uh, th this ended up being case of the year for MUFON in 2021. 
And in researching it, I kept coming across one name in particular, and that was Hayden C. Hughes, who ran the International UFO Bureau here out of Oklahoma City. And he formed it back in 1957 when he was still in high school. And he sadly passed away in 2017. So by the time I was researching this case, he was already gone. Eventually, I ended up being able to contact his widow, and she said, yeah, I still have all of his files. Um, You're more than welcome to come look. And she ended up actually letting me take ownership of of all of his files. And so we've been pouring through them. Um, Hayden was out there in Hartshorn in the 60s and 70s. Um, He actually worked with one of the local women there who had been having sightings and she had a list of over 110 people who had sightings within this small town of 2,000 people uh, within a nine-month period. So people were definitely seeing things out there in Hartshorn. Um, as far as the, the Bureau, we are now working to um, get all of the files digitized. And I'm working with MUFON's Project Aquarius to be able to make all of his, his files available to the public. Um, and it, it's part of a greater project with Project Aquarius that MUFON will be launching here within the next month or so um, that has an incredible library of over a million different files that they are going to be uploading and making available to the public. Within Hayden's files, um, he was one of the main investigators with his partner, Brad Steiger, where they investigated Heaven's Gate and Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles um, had come in multiple times to speak with them and they visited them all through the 70s and Brad and Hayden ended up writing a book called Inside Heaven's Gate about their time with the cult members and some of the the teachings and stuff that they shared with them. Uh, Hayden also worked on the Aurora crash um, from 1897 whenever they went back in the 1970s to um, go investigate the site where they ran the metal detector over and located the the burial site of the entity that was reported to not be of this world. Um, there's also the original Jimmy Carter report, which was filed with the International UFO Bureau back in 1973. And um, it's the actual handwritten report from Jimmy Carter that was written to Hayden. And then it also details the Tulsa Boy Scout photo, which was taken during the flap that happened here across the central United States in the mid-1960s. And then as well as all of the files on Hartshorn. And I mean, that's just the beginning of it. Hayden wrote to several different people within Um, the aerospace community, different astronauts, uh, people in public positions. There's a really wonderful note from Warner Von Braun speaking about UFOs um, that he wrote to Hayden, as well as a a letter from Nikita Krichov, which kind of spurred Hayden onto his whole journey of investigating UFOs way back in the 1950s. Absolutely. So uh, one of those uh, instances, uh, you mentioned the Heaven's Gate was was a mass suicide, but it was tied into a UFO sighting. 
Well, they believed that a UFO would be trailing the comet um, Hale-Bopp. No, I'm lying to you. Hale-Bopp, yep. Uh, Oh, was it Hillbop? Okay. Mm -hmm. So they believed that it, that the UFO would be trailing that and that Bonnie Nettles would be coming back to pe pick them up. And she was kind of his counterpart, Marshall Applewhite's, and they went by the two or by Bo and Peep. And Hayden had several weird instances with them. Um, he spoke about one where they came and visited him at the bureau and he walked them to the door, turned around, and it was almost like they had disappeared. And they had told him about uh, being able to raise their vibration to a point of being able to become transparent, dematerialize. Uh, there was also another instance where Marshall had given him a thought code sequence, and he said, if you ever need to contact us, send out this thought code sequence in our direction, and we will respond. And so Hayden was kind of leery about using this, um, but he decided to. He needed to get a hold of him for something about 14 months later, and he sent out the thought code sequence. And he said later that evening, he got a call, and they said, we've received your communication, and, um, you know, we're returning your, your communication. And he thought, okay, this could be a fluke. Um, let me try it again. So that next night, he tried it again, and he said that once again he got a phone call. And that was all it took. That was it. Um, and and there was actually a very good article written um, about Hayden and his time with Heaven's Gate. Um, he was never part of the cult, but it said, you know, why researcher have. Uh, Hayden Hughes was almost convinced because of some of the strange things he did see around them. And then, um, of course, he, he really treaded lightly after the, the uh, mass suicide there in 97 because what do you do with that information? You've seen these things that are strange that kind of play into what they were teaching, but you also don't want to give credibility to anybody that could you know, lead a cult into mass suicide. So, um, you know, there's still, we still have the files from it. There are several recordings from the um, cult members, audio recordings. Uh, we have the original recruitment tape from Heaven's Gate. Um, I'm not quite sure what exactly MUFON's going to make available through Project Aquarius, um, but I know that that they are going to have me go ahead and get all of those digitized uh, so that they are safe and not deteriorate throughout time. Yeah, probably a, a good thing. Uh, get those digitized and preserved. And we're talking with Mindy Totfest. She is uh, MUFON's National Director of Training, a member of the Elite Star Team, and Dean of MUFON University, curator of the Hayden C. Hughes International UFO Bureau, also a near-death experiencer, uh, she survived and lived to write about it in the book Dying to Meet Them, One Woman's Incredible Journey from NDE to UAP. More with her coming up. Into the Paranormal.
Just ahead in the news tonight, reports of thousands of UFOs out in space. Not saying all of these are flying saucers or extraterrestrial vehicles, but they're unidentified. They're objects that are flying, and the Space Force is encountering them. They've actually put together a plan uh, for how they're going to deal with that. We had that in the first hour in Paranormal News with George Henry. Uh, so UFOs obviously uh, are not just a problem that we deal with here uh, on Earth, but also up in space, and there's been a lot happening, actually, on the UFO front. We have from MUFON here tonight, Mindy Totfest. So, Mindy, what is MUFON's role in the whole uh, congressional hearings that have been going on? Are you guys providing information to them? Well, yeah, MUFON, while we aren't part of the government, um, we are working closely with Congress, um, specifically a couple of congressmen, um, Burchett and Carson, have been very receptive to our cause. And uh, we actually brief them quarterly on some of the things we've been seeing, some of the trends we're seeing within our case management system within the over 140,000 cases that we have um, on file. So any kind of trends we're seeing lately, we're keeping them apprised of that. Um, We also were instrumental in getting the whistleblower protections put in to this last NDAA. And out of that is where we saw Grush coming forward. And supposedly there's more coming that are going to be able to speak to what they know um, that's been going on behind closed doors. So have you been giving information to uh, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office and, and maybe even the NASA study group? No, we are not. We're not working with Arrow or NASA. Um, There seems to be a couple of different factions within the government right now, Um, obviously within the military, and um, they want to keep things a little bit more secret, whereas Congress is representing the people, and they're really fighting the good fight to try to get some form of disclosure um, and get some of this information out to the public. It's time. So we shouldn't expect much to come from either of those efforts, and we have a better chance of actually this coming forward through some of our congressmen and women who are working on this and the whistleblowers coming forward, or is that overstating it? Well, I believe so to some degree. Um, It's good that we're seeing this discussion happen at multiple levels within the government. Um, I'm really interested to see the direction that Arrow takes under a new director um, and, you know, see where that leads within the next year. Me as well. Mindy, any final words for the audience tonight? Um. You know, if anyone has an interest in UFOs and have ever thought about investigating, we are always looking for new investigators within MUFON. We get so many reports coming in, especially with the new interest in it from the the top down, um, that we don't have enough volunteers. We really need people to step up and to help, you know, join the search. So... Uh, If anyone has any interest in investigating, come join us. You can find us at MUFON.com. Absolutely. Appreciate you coming on the program, Mindy. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jeremy.
And, of course, we're still keeping our eye on what's going to happen with the NDAA, the supposed UAP Disclosure Act of 2023, whether they're going to pass that as is. Uh, They only have, I think it's a couple of working days uh, before it's going to either have to be passed as is or an amendment is going to have to be agreed on. Is this a step back or is this a step forward as far as disclosure is concerned? Uh, We've got to get it signed and we've got to get it uh, actually in the system. Uh, Only time will actually tell. Appreciate you being with us here tonight, somewhere between the paranormal and the abnormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Lots more to come for you this week, so stick uh, stick right where you've got here on the dial and uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow night. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon, somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, I'm Jeremy Scott. Good night, and God bless. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.